Well, for years now, we've been applying that little phrase Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it'll take us decades more to really apply that. And if Pastor Vernon and I aren't here for all the decades, we'll be part of the great cloud of witnesses that are surrounding you and cheering you on. But I wanna talk to you this morning about the big picture. I want to understand again that that phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, means at least this, Jesus didn't come just to get us into heaven, he came to get heaven into earth through us. That's why we're still here. If it was all about getting you into heaven, you'd be dead right now. Because that could have happened the moment you accepted Christ. Secondly, we need to understand Jesus had a vision, a singular vision for his people. And it was called the church. It was the group of people who were made up who proclaimed him as their Lord and Savior. And he said, on you I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we know we are a hell-busting, heaven-building people. And then there is one component to that church. It's called a disciple. Remember how he said, go ye therefore as you are going, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you always, even to the end of the earth. So we know that he wants to build us into disciples who make other disciples. Because we can't, we can only reproduce what we are. We can teach what we know, but we can only reproduce what we are. And so therefore a disciple is someone who has placed their trust and their life in Jesus Christ, is growing into his likeness and is helping others come to know him. But as we go through this discipleship series, and that's what we're doing, you know, as a, as a group, as a body, this is, we're, we're, we're going through this series. And the first three books are really the most important. If you don't get past those, those are, those are foundational to work through with other people. The first one is becoming a disciple. The second one is belonging to a family of families because we all need a spiritual family to sustain us and to pull out of us what God put in there. And so, and so that's why I am is really us. There is no singular in Christianity. There's no singular in God. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is in us. He's a relationship. We worship a triune God. And so therefore, I am us. But then the third one is mission for them there. And that's the calling of our church. Now, let me, let me go back to the big picture, and then I'm going to read you the scripture. In a very, out of a very appropriate book, I'm just reading, we're doing just kind of example lessons as we get into the, the more number, uh, the greater number of these books in the discipleship series. And it's so um, providential that on Labor Day weekend, I would be teaching the first lesson out of envisioning fruitful life work. This is the only lesson I'll, pre, I'll, I'll teach out of here. I'll, I'll wait for you overachievers to get there, uh, and, uh, but, I, I, but, I, but it'll be an important way to get through that book. 
Now let me tell you this, because it, it has everything to do with the scripture I'm about to read. I've told you before, and I'll continue to tell you this until you believe it. God made each of you, no matter where you are, for a particular purpose. You were knit together in your mother's womb. God did not make a mistake when he wired you like he did. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the Bible says that all of your days are ordained when, they're not, when there is not yet one of them. In other words, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for you. And no one else can do that plan. You are irreplaceable. The same thing is true of the church. God has a plan for our church. No one else can do the plan that, is, that he gave to us in the way we can do it. We are irreplaceable. Now let me read to you out of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. One of the most crucial passages of scripture in the whole Bible. It talks about salvation, that greatest work that Pastor Vernon referred to. For by grace, unmerited favor, grace, by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as of the result of works, so that no one will boast. Now let me give you a, good, let me give you a pop quiz over what I just said. Okay, here's a little quiz. How much of your salvation did you contribute to? None. Thank you. All right. The class gets an A. Zero. Zero. It was done for us by God. It is a gift. We can't add to it or subtract from it. It is a gift. It is simply something we receive. Now watch. Interestingly, the next sentence is about our works. It says... For we are his workmanship. That is, part of, it, part of the grace is to make us like he did. Now watch. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. There it is. There's the plan again. God has a plan for your life. He knows the detail. He made you with the same detail he made the whole universe. This universe is made in precise tune, in, 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 in precise uh, harmony, or we couldn't exist, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that a God who was all necessary for our salvation would be unnecessary for our works? No, he made our works exactly like he made our salvation so that we would depend on him because our works are not about achievement. They're about closeness. They're about closeness. And so therefore, God wants us to hear from him personally. Wouldn't you love to know precisely from God exactly why he made you like he did, why you've gone through what you have, and what God expects you to do in the larger picture of what he is doing. Wouldn't you love that? Stick around. 
because I believe every one of us will learn this bit by bit. And by the end, we will know. We will know. Okay? Okay. So, so let, me, let me switch gears only to come more to the point. We all concentrate on works. We want to do good stuff for God. Oswald Chambers, though, once said, and, and we know prayer's mixed in there somehow. You know, we, we should pray. But Oswald Chambers once said this. He said, prayer is not to prepare us for greater work. Prayer is the greater work. There's something I want us all to know. And that is, before we do the works of God, we have to pray for several reasons. I told you beforehand that as a church, we know what our purpose is. And as people, we believe that God has called us. God has called us. Now we believe that, that we don't quite function like that. Because everybody believes they're called, but when it gets right down to doing the work, we just wanna do it ourselves. So we're, we're, we're functionally agnostic. Theologically, we're Christian, but functionally, we're agnostic. Because, and that's the bad news. So the good news is, we know we have a purpose. We know we have been called. This is how Jesus put it. You did not choose me. This is John 15, 6. You, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go. Remember how... Go ye therefore. Go, very important word. Go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father. Wait a minute, what did he just say? How do we build, how do we produce fruit that remains? You ask the Father. So whatever you ask of the Father, in my name, he may give to you. So the good news is we know our purpose, and as, a, as, a, as, as persons, we will become more and more aware of our role in that purpose, all right, as we, as we go through this together. The bad news is, as soon as somebody knows their purpose, they're much more likely to forget about God and go out and perform it, and, 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 and think, oh, this is all up to me now. And that's exactly the opposite of what is going to happen because because Jesus himself couldn't do his role without the Father. He said that. John chapter 5, verse 19. And Jesus gave them the answer. Verily I tell you, or very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever his father does, the son also does. Now, again, again, little quiz. I love quizzes that are usually rhetorical questions. If Jesus couldn't do what he was made for by himself, do you think you or I can? Absolutely not. We have to... Watch what God does every step of the way. We've got we to we walk in lockstep with God. We say we want close. You ask somebody, do you want to be close to God? They'll go, oh yeah. Oh yeah. We say it, but we don't live it. When we talk about prayer, we're usually talking about talking to God. That's what we phrase prayer. 
And when we say, just pray 10 minutes a day, you say, it, the automatic response is, I don't know, I don't have 10, more, 10 minutes worth of stuff to say. Because that's how we equate it. Or the people who are really into prayer usually try to filibuster God until they get their point across. You know, if I just say enough words, you know, maybe he'll do like I want him to do. That's not intimacy. That's not intimacy. When I was on my, when I was on my sabbatical, I had this project. I, I always have projects, you know, because I'm a fairly structured guy. And it didn't get done. I had some family stuff, um, and because I was on sabbatical, I could respond to the family stuff. And, and uh, so I, I went out on my dock one day. I, I spent a lot of time on my dock. Turtles love me. Uh, they go, where's my bread? Uh, and, uh, and I was kind of, I was kind of saying to God, I, I'm sorry, digging my project done. And God just said, and after you spend 40 or 50 years doing this, you can hear it. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? The project doesn't matter. What matters is you're talking to me. Now, this is what I want you to communicate to my people at Northland. What they're doing is not nearly as important as how close we're getting while they're doing it. Pray. Teach them to pray. So intimacy is a big deal with God. But intimacy is not something that most of us are comfortable with. So what do we do? We talk a lot or we get it. If it's a man, he just goes to work. You know, you can go to work to avoid intimacy. Looks like you're producing something, but you're not building a relationship because you got stuff to do. I remember when I first was in ministry, my first church out of, out of a seminary. <laughs> I uh, was in this little town, Princeton, Indiana, a little county seat town, um, had this beautiful little church. It was United Methodist Church. We were, we were um, one of the few integrated churches north of the Mason-Dixon line. But it was a beautiful little group of believers, probably not 200 people. But it was my first church, you know, by myself. And I wanted, to, I wanted to visit every congregation member. So I just got a list of pastoral calling and so on and so forth. But there was this one family that I couldn't figure out because they came every week and they would sit right here in the sanctuary. And it was a father and three sons. And the mother never came. And so I just asked one time, is, there, is the mother deceased? No. Um, uh, and, and why doesn't the mother come to church? I don't know. So I just thought, that's going to be one of my first pastoral calls. I'm just going to go. Who wouldn't want to be a part of us? I mean, we're a friendly group. Who wouldn't want to come to church? Of course she wants to. She just hadn't been properly invited. So I, I decided, oh, I'm going to go and just extend, you know, my, the welcome. So I, I go, stop in front of this house, and I'm going up the steps. And then you get, you know how this is. You determine you're going to do something, and then you get all the, uh-oh. And I thought, there's probably a very good reason she doesn't go to church. You know, either somebody in church said something really mean, I'm going to get really an earful, or she hates God, or, you know, something like that. I'm going, oh, no. So I rang the doorbell. She opens the door. She smiles. How can I help you? I said, well, I'm Reverend Hunter from... Faith United Methodist Church. Oh, pastor, please come in. 
I'm delighted to see you. And she took me into the living room, which is crystal, crystal clean. It was, it was just, and she just started talking and, and, and talking about her family and talking about uh, her, her house and talking about how we lived in the community and talking about recipes and talking about, I mean, she talked for an hour and a half. Seriously, I knew this because I had to get to another appointment. And I, and I, and I kept thinking, okay, there's going to be a little break here where I can work because I want to have a conversation. I want to be a part of the conversation. She never breathed. I was watching. It's the only, only human being I've ever seen didn't need to breathe. I, I'm, maybe she did it through her ears or something. But she just talked and talked and talked. And I'm sitting there thinking, this woman is so desperate for intimacy. I've never seen anybody as, as just reaching out for a relationship like this woman. Oh, my goodness. And so finally, and, and, and I said, I, I started talking over her talking. I said, I'm sorry, I've, I've got I've to leave, uh, uh, but I hope to come back someday. And she just talked me, talked in my face all the way to the door. And then another thing. And then, and then I, and I got out. And I was traumatized. It was like post-traumatic stress syndrome. <laughs> Later on that day, I met up with uh, a, a, an old retired minister who was one of my mentors. And this guy was like 150 years old, but he was super wise, just super smart. And he said, how did your day go? I said, well, I've, I had the most interesting visit. There's a wonderful lady but I don't think I have ever seen anybody so desperate for intimacy in my life. And he got this look on his face like, he said, what makes you say that? I said, well, the, from the moment she opened the door, she talked the entire time, just reaching out. She was just so lonely, wanted a relationship so badly. And he was just quiet for a moment. Quiet enough that you start to say, uh-oh, what did I miss? And sure enough, he said, you don't get it, do you? And I said, get what? He said, this woman is guarding against intimacy. Don't you understand that as long as you're talking, you have control. As long as you're talking, you're the one that's running the ship. And she was trying desperately not to let you enter into that relationship. That's probably one of the reasons that she doesn't come to church because she's scared of intimacy. And I said, oh. <laughs> do you understand we, we do the same thing with God? You know, if we're not talking, we're working. But we're not listening. There's no opening where we're going, uh, okay, now it's your turn. And I'm going to sit here until I sense something from you or just your presence. You know, it says in Psalm 4610, it says you've got to cease striving. This is from God and know that I'm God. Other versions say this, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted in, uh, among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. But we've got to do this together. We've got to do this together. 
Somebody once said, if you belong to a group where the most productive thing you can do in the group is to talk, you need to find another group. Because if you're the best they got, you've got no, no, no one to add. You've got no one, you know. You need, I, would, I would paraphrase this. If your impression of God is that the most productive you can be is to talk to him, you need to find another God. Or at least revise your vision of God. Because if the best God can do is to listen to your opinions, you've got way too small a God. Way too small. We need to be still. Listen. Do you know why it is that sometimes some of your best ideas come in the shower? It's because hopefully that's the only time in the day you're not talking or listening to something on the radio. You're just quiet for a moment. And every once in a while you go, oh, well that's a good idea. Why? Because you're still. We need to interrupt this, this cycle of frantic conversation, frantic opinion, frantic activity. And we need to pray. Because if you do this, you will understand that as you sense the nearness of God, and if you're quiet for long enough, you will sense the nearness of God. You know everything's going to be okay. No matter what's happening around you, no matter whether you can control it or not. Max Locato once told this story about a mom and a dad with a five-year-old girl. Emily was her name. And the mom and the dad had rough days and, and just very frustrated. So they, got, they were kind of honked off on their way home. He had gone to work and had a deadline uh, moved up on him and, and so he's feeling this tremendous pressure. Uh, she had gone to work and she passed by this uh, uh, childcare place where Emily stayed sometimes and, and Emily had a whole sore throat and they'd forgotten to give her medicine and so they're thinking, she's thinking, I'm paying for this, I can't even give my kid the medicine when they need to give my kid the medicine and she's honked off. And so you come back, you come home and you expect comfort from one another. Only the other one's expecting comfort from you. You know, and the other one's as honked off as you are. And so they're just kind of mad at each other. And every five-year-old knows when her, when her parents are mad at each other. And so they sat down to supper. And Emily said, can I say the prayer tonight? So they said, well, sure. And so she does this. Hey, God, it's Emily. How you doing? I'm fine. Hey, my mom and dad are mad at each other. I don't know why. We've got birds and toys and mashed potatoes. But if you could get them to stop being mad at each other, that would be great. Because if you don't, it's just you and I are going to be having any fun tonight. I love that prayer. She, she wasn't trying to control anything. She turned it over to God, but she knew as long as God was there, she was going to be okay. We need the practice of prayer. And there's going to be a hundred ways we do this with each other. And there's going to be a hundred ways we remind each other to do it where we are. 
This is probably the most important sermon I will ever preach to you. And so it won't be the last time I mention it. Becky and I went to see a movie this week called War Room. Anybody see that movie? Yeah. Terrific movie. And for those of you who didn't see it, it's about this lady who just fought the battles of life in a prayer closet. I mean, she, she, had, this, she had this prayer closet and, and she knew Ephesians 6 where, where we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. And she knew what was said of Operation Desert Storm. The air war won the ground war. The air war won the ground war. You are in a ground war every day. The air war has to win the ground war. And so this is what she do. She just stick post-it notes all over the wall. And she just pray for them. Now let me tell you a couple of advantages of that and why that's a really good idea. I want you to stop praying in generalities. You're not running for Miss Universe. When they ask you what you want, don't say world peace, all right? Seriously. If you're going to get serious with God and you expect an answer to God, and he has promised us an answer. He has promised us that. Then you got to know what you're looking for. And only by praying specifics do you know what you're looking for. Can I just say this to you? I, I want you to remember this. We just sang that song. The earth is full of his glory. And it's rising up all around. Be honest with me now. How often do you notice it? How often do you notice it? Let me tell you a very significant truth. Unless you are looking for God, you will never notice him. And unless you are looking for God in particular ways, you will never notice what else he is doing. So we pray in order to become attuned to God's specific answers, but watch this, we pray in order to become so attuned, we notice the answers we didn't even pray for because our soul gets tuned up. So there are three things that are gonna happen when you begin to pray every day and you pray for the prompting of the Holy Spirit to remind you to pray. And you pray that prayer of the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. The first thing is you'll realize that every purpose you've been given cannot be accomplished without the strength and the intervention of God. Every purpose. He made us like that. He didn't hand over the body. Okay, I got, I, you know, I saved you. Now the rest is up to you. No, this is all about walking with God. And so therefore, when we try stuff in our own strength, 
oh my goodness, that's, that's going to fail. I heard this story, I told you about that in my church in Princeton, and, and, and it was a, it, a good part of the congregation were farmers. I love farmers. Farmers really keep things in perspective. You know, they have to wait on the rain. They can't, they can't manage the rain. They can't manage the weather. They can't, man, you know. But farmers know they, they need to pull out the weeds, you know. And I remember this one family, Jerry Arburn's family, just a wonderful family. And boy, you could go out in their corn rows. And it just looked like God himself had called order out of chaos. I mean, it was just beautiful. So when I heard this story, I, re I remembered them. There's a boy and his dad out pulling weeds out of their garden. And the boy sees a big old weed and, and, he, and he tries to get it out and he can't. And the dad turns to him and he says, son, you're not using all your strength. Well, that just fires the kid up. So he goes down to the weed again and he's just grunting and groaning and uh, he can't do it. The dad looks at him a second time. He said, son, I'm telling you, you're not using all your strength. So a third time the kids goes down, he just, he just about blows his head off, you know, you know and, 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 and the dad says again, I'm just saying, you're not using all your strength. And he fires back at the dad. He said, that's all the strength I got. And his dad says, no, it's not. He said, I've been standing here the whole time. And you never ask me once to help. I am your strength. Do you know what God says? The very same thing. Psalm 28. The psalmist knew this. 28.7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. What's hard about this? Just remembering to ask, I think. Maybe we're too proud. We're so fiercely independent. Not a good strategy. Not really a good strategy. The second thing is, we want God to reveal himself to us. We want God to call us personally. And I hope that's what you want. Please. Don't count on me or any other preacher to tell you what you should do on behalf of God. Now, I love it. While I got my lips moving, sometimes God speaks to you. I love that. But you need to hear from God directly. You know, we've, I've told you, we know our future. And that is to build the church in every realm of society, in every nook and cranny of the earth. We want everyone to come to the fullness of the knowledge of God. And, and, and right now, the way Christianity has, has, has filled out, there's, there's, it's not going to happen. And I'll tell you why. Because we're doing it event by event or strategy by strategy instead of relationship by relationship. The distributed church says this, get the people around you and build the church around them. Because 80% of the world is never going to step foot into a church. We built this church, by the way, for the 80% that would not step foot in it.
as well as the 20% that would. We, we understand these things. I love Billy Graham Crusades. I, I, they, were, they were such a, a help for so many years. Some of you came to, to um, Christ in a Billy Graham Crusade. And I love Billy Graham. He was very important to me at a particular time in my life. A conversation we had really helped me. But I got to tell you, if you hold a Billy Graham crusade in London, England, and you go there a year later, you'll be hard pressed to find the people who committed their life to Christ, walking with Christ, unless they're in a Christian fellowship. And the church really isn't working in England very well. I mean, there's some pockets growing, but not a lot of those people went into a church. Same thing with the, with the Jesus film. I love the Jesus film. The, 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 the head of the Jesus film, Eric Sinkel, goes here. He's an elder here. As a matter of fact, he was in last, last uh, 9 o'clock service, and I didn't see him. I just started talking about him, so kind of got his attention. What a wonderful instrument of evangelism. But they would say the same thing to you. And they just had a meeting about this. You go back a year later, and if those people who came into the village don't get planted into living Christian fellowships, into the church that has been distributed to their relationships, they won't be walking with God, let alone telling other people about Jesus. This is the future, the millennial generation we have right now, all over the world, isn't interested in institutional religion, isn't interested in making their way to a church building. But it doesn't mean they're not interested in God. Doesn't mean they don't want to be used of God. It doesn't mean they don't want to be close to God. So if they need the church, what's the answer? We've got to build a church around them. Where they're at. Teach them how to build a church in, in their relationships. Now here's the key to this point. What's going to make them, who happen to believe in Christ, someone who has the gumption to overcome the feeling, I'm not qualified to be anybody's spiritual leader. You want me to pastor my group of friends or my, my friends at work or my, you want me to, I, I'm not qualified for that. Remember Moses had the same objection to God. Other people are qualified, I'm not qualified. What's gonna actually, think of your own life. As we will be asking you again and again, just to start spiritual conversations and then spiritual fellowships with the relationships you have, what's going to actually make you do that? My words? <laughs> no. No. I mean, I'm sure you think I'm a nice guy, but I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life. Only God. Only when God comes to you and says, you're it for these people. I'm calling you out. You're who I got there. You're who I put there. This is part of my plan for your life and for the church. Only then will it happen. We need to hear from God personally. Never happen if we don't pray. And then lastly, we need to understand that God wants to fit us all together. See, 
we have this other tendency to say, God, what about my life? And we need to hear from God, what about my plan? Where do you fit in the larger plan? See, I love the fact that we're worshiping right now with people from countries from practically all over the world. I loved going to Egypt. Our brothers and sisters, Egyptian Christians are so much fun. They are so into it. And we got a good number of Egyptian Christians in this, in this congregation. Brazilians are on fire for Jesus. I love that. We won't go as far as we can go without the Brazilians. It just ain't gonna happen. We, we, we need the folks that we're connecting to in Africa. We need the folks we're connecting to in China. I know you're there. You have stuff you can teach us. But in order to make that come together, we gotta pray. You can't strategize this stuff. Only God, only God can make this stuff happen. And so, we're gonna give you ways going forward that you can pray where you are, that you can gather in groups, and you can make sure that for a, some time every day, it's just you and God. And at first, you might not hear anything. You might just be sitting, quiet. That itself is a good thing. You need the break. Y'all look tired. It's Sunday morning, you look exhausted. Somebody needs to just tell you to sit there for a while, you know? Who was that the prophet who just needed to take a nap and get up, huh? Who, you know, ran from Jezebel, huh? Elijah, that's right, Elijah. And God just said, just take a nap for crying out loud. Just sleep and then get up and eat something. If they'd have had chocolate, you'd say, get up, eat some chocolate. You can hear me way better, you know, when you're eating chocolate. So some of you just need to take a break because that's the only way you're going to trust God. It's the only way. Get out of the driver's seat for a minute and watch him run the universe without you and then watch him run the universe with you. Everybody stand up. I'm going to pray us out of here. Before I do that, I want to uh, remind you that if you're at the Longwood location, there's a prayer team up here who would love to pray with you about anything from salvation to healing to a burden you're carrying. I just want you to just avail yourself of the team. And, and then if you want to get uh, online, you got Bill Gary and Nathan Clark. And, and uh, um, if you want to get better connected, go into the hub. They'll listen to your story. They'll actually listen to you. Um, and, and, uh, and remember, we got a belong seminar coming up in a couple of, of uh, um, weeks to where that's kind of our membership class. So if you really want to go, yeah, Northland's my, my family. I'd love to see you there. But let me pray. God, this isn't complicated. And we know we need it. We just forget. We get busy. We believe, but we also have unbelief. 
And sometimes we're afraid to put you to the test because we, we don't want to have our faith tested. But Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to fight the battles of every day in the air first. Teach us to come to you with specific prayer requests and then to look for the answers. Whether that answer be yes or no or not yet, help us to know you have responded. And then help us to see all of the prayers that are getting answered around us. All of the things that you were doing that we weren't even bright enough to pray about. Just help us to see you. You are a self-revealing God. That's why you gave us the scripture. That's why you gave us Jesus. That's why you give us the spirit. Come amongst us now. Teach us to pray. Amen. See you next week.